Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. So let's get right into the Word, knowing that God will speak into our lives today. Matthew 22. Now this is the last in a little series we have called, What Are You Doing With Love? Now let me, let me qualify that for just a moment because we've mentioned it several times and I, I really believe in my spirit that we're, we're so well schooled on the subject of faith and I'm going to begin a series on faith uh, beginning next weekend, t- uh, teaching on faith. And, and uh, we were so well schooled and, and we have so much revelation, so much information on the subject of faith that, that the manifestation of what we know about faith and the information that we have is out of balance. Did you understand that? You say, what do you mean by out of balance? Then we have so much more information than we have demonstration. Amen. I mean, compared to, to, to moves of God in the past, to, to outpourings of the Spirit of God in the past, where the Spirit of God, the, 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 the voice of healing days, 1948 through the 1950s, all through the 1950s, uh, now the Azusa Street Revival, great revivals, uh, charismatic renewal, different, uh, their level of information in the Word of God was a lot lower, but the demonstrating power of God was a lot higher. So I, I sought God, I've sought God for a while. Lord, what brings that into balance? Where according to the revelation that we have, we see a demonstration. Amen. Well, the Lord just kept speaking the same thing to me. Faith worketh by love. Faith worketh by love. Faith worketh by love. But see, the word that was, the, the two words that, that I'm most familiar with is the word uh, faith and love. Faith and love. But, but he kept emphasizing the word worketh. Amen. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, that, that's what we've kind of titled this little uh, mini-series, What Are You Doing With Your Faith? You know, I've heard several illustrations over the years. The one that, that, that I get, guess kind of stuck in my heart and my spirit was of a, a nanny, uh, a lady that took care of uh, some of the royalty, some of the children over in uh, England way back in the, in the turn of the last century, 1900, 1901, 1902, right in there. And this nanny had worked with the royal family of England for years and years and retired. And when she died, she died in absolute poverty. Uh, lived in a little old flat somewhere in some uh, 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 impoverished uh, uh, neighborhood in London. And, and everybody was kind of sad when they saw her condition. And one of the, one of the uh, royal family's uh, secretaries or whatever he would be called went into her little uh, modest uh, one-room apartment, one room and a cooking stove, and that was about it, and was looking around and looked up on the wall and saw a framed letter from her employer who had been this particular uh, princess or whatever she was and she had taken care of their children for all these years, saw this letter. So he had them take that letter down. And he began to examine that letter and he opened up, he took the frame apart, took the glass out and read through that letter and found out that according to that letter, they had left her an enormous amount of money on her retirement that they had provided for her a cottage on the grounds of a royal castle. That they had provided all of these things for her that she never entered into because she didn't do anything with it. She should have read the letter. 
I heard of two different men. This is in the Chicago area because it happened in the dead of winter when it was very cold. Both of these men were found in an apartment just in squalor. One of them, uh, his apartment consisted of an easy chair and then there were boxes everywhere. And there was a little trail to the front door, a little trail over to an easy chair where he sat, a little trail over to a bed, and a trail to the bathroom. And he died, and when they did his autopsy, they found out he died of malnutrition. Well, they started going through those boxes. And as they went through those boxes, they found almost $50,000 in cash in those boxes. Well, he had something, but he wasn't doing anything with it. Then they found, they found another man laying in the street there in Chicago. Looked like he had died of exposure. And they did the same thing, did an autopsy on him. Found out he had died of malnutrition. They began to take the clothing off of him. Found a money belt around him, had over $24,000 in it. You know, believers have so much they're not doing anything with. You've got to do something with your faith. You've got to do something with your love. You have to put it into operation. You have to put it into action or it will not benefit you. And I don't want to get to heaven. Thank God for heaven. Thank God for all of its glory. But it just won't be right to get up there and find out I could have done something more. That I held on to something or that I had something. I didn't read it. I didn't study it out. I didn't pray it out. And therefore, I wasn't able to utilize it. Now, love is like that. Because uh, uh, when it comes to every attribute of God, the one that sits at the highest is his love. And we, we've struggled with that around here in trying to communicate that message to people. God loves you. God is not the source of your problem. God is not the source of your, your pain. God is not, you know, somehow uh, sitting up there orchestrating all this trauma in your life to try to make you more pious and holy. If that would work, you'd already be pious and holy. Hadn't we been through enough? <laughs> Amen. No, he loves us. He knows we have an adversary. He knows we have a mind that needs to be renewed. He knows that we live in a world system. And as I was studying this week, I'm not going to read the scriptures, but as you go study the love of God, the love of Jesus, how the Father loved the Son, how the Son loves the people, how the people learn to love God, then after that it always talks about how much the world hates us. You ever read that? Connected to all this love teaching is the hate of the world. The world hates God. It hates Jesus. It hates everything about God because the world system is of the devil. Amen. Amen. Now, there in Matthew chapter 22, one of our scriptures that we used, we'll go back to it. It says, but when the Pharisees, there in verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together, and one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Well, we studied that. How can you love God? Number one, you can love God because he first loved you. His love is manifested in his generosity. His, now, let me say this, because a lot of times we get the idea, you know, you look at ministries, you look at People that God has blessed abundantly. You know, there's a couple of businesses here in the United States that God has just blessed. Uh, you know, they're multi-billion dollar businesses. Now, they're Christian. They proclaim it. Some of them, they don't even work on Sunday, proving how faithful they are to God. Amen. Amen. And you look at that, you look at these ministers that are worth lots of money, fly them, and you think, well, I'm kind of on the short end of this thing. God, God doesn't love me. Listen, God's love is not measured by the manifestation of what has happened for someone else. 
God's love is measured in your life of that which you've done for you. You say, well, I don't really think God has ever done anything for me. His grace kept you alive till you found him or till he found you. His grace kept you out of the grave, kept you out of the penitentiary, kept you out of whatever it was that the enemy had to, wanted to do to you. His grace covered you and kept you till he found you and you responded to his love by being born again. Now you have to make a decision to take off from there and go on into the greater things of the love of God. And we said this and it bears worth repeat, it's worth repeating. The only thing that gives you value that will remove a poor self-esteem is seeing how much God loves you because when you see how much God loves you, then you begin to see how much he values you. And when you see that God Almighty values you, you, got, you, you start loving yourself. You start caring about yourself. You know, there's a lot of people who don't care about themselves. A lot of people in this world, in this world system, they don't care about themselves. They could care less what happened to them, what happened to anybody else around them. But when you get surrounded by the love of God, I'm telling you, you begin to see how much God loves you. You begin to respond back to that love. And then you begin to say, man, you mean if God loved me that much, I must be worth something to God. And when you begin to discover that you are worth something to God, then the next thing you can do is to love your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Now, if we can take that love that's working in that, in that dimension, I like to call it the love dynamo. You say, what do you mean by that? There's love coming from the Father to you. There's love going from you to the Father. There's love coming back from the Father into the body of Christ. We learn to love one another, live with one another, work with one another in doing the will of God. Next thing you know, we take that dynamic to a lost world and we can begin to love the world. As God loves them. Now, notice what Jesus says. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself on these two commandments. Now, notice this. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, I'm going to tell you. You take all the Ten Commandments. If you walk in love, you'll never break one. Amen. Amen. Now let me say this. Now, now I know people always want to throw somebody's situation up in our face, but it's, it's real. You take a man and a woman that walk in love. Now I'm not talking walk in love in a husband and wife type of love situation. I'm talking about a man that walks in the love of God and a woman that walks in the love of God, and they come together and get married and, and include that love, that dimension of love, and they'll never be in the divorce court. Amen. You say, why? Well, before they love each other, before they love their children, before they love their home, they love God, and they walk in that love. Amen. You take people in business that walk in love. Well, you say, well, I, I'm telling you, I think if I walked in love in business, I'd be cheated. It doesn't matter. God will always make up for anything you get cheated from if you walk in love. Amen. I knew a businessman one time who had some business deals come up that were a little shady. Just a little shady. And he, that, that's the thing that rose up in his spirit. If I did this, this is going to hurt some people. So he backed away from it because of his love walk. Because if he would have entered into this contract with these people that were going to do this, it would have greatly harmed some people, hurt their business, and because of his love walk, he backed away. I asked him, I said, did you lose any money? He said, no, and I didn't lose any sleep either. Amen. Amen. 
A church that walks in love can reach the world. Evangelists that walk in love will be successful in their evangelistic outreaches. I'll tell you, every element of our life and life experience, if we add the love of God to it, there's no way we can fail. You say, why is that? Because love never fails. Amen. Amen. Now, go to, go to Romans real quick. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, it says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now, it doesn't produce it, it works it. Amen? And patience, experience, experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Now, notice this. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now, look at that again. And hope maketh not a shame. Now, the first thing the enemy wants to do to you in a problem, in a situation, in a trial or a tribulation is to shame you. And what's amazing about the adversary is he wants to use your faith to do it. He'll say things like, oh, you've been sitting under that teaching on faith and healing. Why are you so sick? Oh, you've been, that pastor gets up there and talks about prospering and you've been tithing and offering. Now here you are struggling fine. See, he, everything the enemy tries to do, he's trying to shame you in light of the revelation that you have. But always remember what the enemy is after. A lot of people don't re- recognize. He's not really after you personally. He's after the word that's in you. Just like he was in Matthew chapter 4 when he came to Jesus. If thou be the Son of God. If thou be the Son of God. If thou, that was the issue. He knew if he could get Jesus off the word the Father had spoken to him, he's got him. And the same thing is true of you. He knows if I can get him off the word. If I can get him off the word. If I can get him to, to go into unbelief. If I can get him to doubt the word, I've got him. So what you've got to do is you've got to stand strong on the word. Stand strong and just tell the devil, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed because I'm going to come out victorious. I'm not ashamed because I'm going to get the doctor's report that says it's not there. I'm not ashamed because the money's coming in in Jesus' name. I'm not ashamed because my marriage is going to be healed in the name of Jesus. I'm not ashamed because I'm going to get that which I'm believing for, for I know in whom I'm believed and I'm persuaded that he is able. Because my God does exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think. You can't back off that. You can't quit. You've got to make a decision. I'm not going to become a a part of the ashamed. I'm going to be part of the unashamed that's victorious in the things of God. But now notice this. And hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, I don't think we, we gauge the depth of that. Now, in the light of everything else we've said, The greatest force in the world is the love of God. What redeemed you, what saved you, what brought you out of the miry clay was the love of God. What brings healing to broken bodies is the love of God. What delivers the drug addict is the love of God. What heals broken marriages is the love of God. What delivers people from depression is the love of God. What brings salvation to all is the love of God. So God has took that most powerful force. He hadn't put it in a vault up in heaven. He hadn't kept it somewhere where he only could treasure it. 
He has put it in us. The love of God is where, where, where this is literally a location chapter, uh, excuse me, a location scripture. This helps you to locate where is the love of God, Pastor Rusty? Where is the, you talk about the love of God. Where is this love? It's in you. It's shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto you. Every believer has a deposit of the love of God in their heart. Let me say that again. Every believer. Now, hold on. Before I say that again, let me say this. Your adversary knows that. Mm, how can I do that? All right. Thank you. In ministry, there is authority that God uniquely establishes the fivefold ministry with. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Now, I've seen a lot of ministers go in the ditch with their authority. I mean, they become controllers. You say, you're trying to control me, pastor. Well, you don't know me because I'm doing all I can do just to control myself. I ain't got any left over for you. (laughs) Amen. Amen. But now, this, this may give some of you an indication of why things are the way they are. They go into the ditch with this authority, and they take authority out of its proper position. Because when it comes to, to the positioning of authority and love, love sits above authority. Now, let me say that again. Love sits above. But there are those that have taken authority out of its position and placed authority above love. Now, I can show you if we would sit down with Christian history ever since the resurrection of Christ, ever since uh, uh, 300 years after when the universal church was begun, all the other denominations and everything else that has happened when God would move and God would do something supernaturally, the power of God, gifts of the Spirit, then all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's not happening anymore and it's just some cold, dead denominational religion. It is because when you take authority and place it above love, you automatically go into legalism. And legalism is designed to control people. And some of the most legalistic entities on the planet are not governments, it's churches. And denominations that say, if you don't do it our way, you can't even go to heaven. Well, I'll tell you what, I hope they make it. Because if they get there, they're going to be very surprised who's in heaven. Finding out there are people that didn't do it their way and made it to heaven anyway. Amen. I mean, one of the first things I was ever challenged by in ministry. I mean, I was in a meeting. The power of God was moving. Things were happening. Afterwards, a minister asked me, how are you baptized? I thought for a moment and said, in water. They thought I was trying to be a smart aleck. Well, I was just a couple of years out of Bible school, you know. I was being honest. You know, they said, no, 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 no. In their legalistic, you know, authoritative, pastoral, you know, no, 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 no. How were you baptized? I said, well, the pastor took me and he put me in the water and he brought me up and I was wet and... He said, you don't even understand. Were you baptized in Jesus' name only? I said, I don't know. 
I said, all I know is the pastor, when he baptized me, said, I'm baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. And I came up rejoicing. He said, you're not even saved. I said, that's funny. I'm not even saved, but I've quit my old life. I'm delivered from drugs. I've spent a year in Bible school. Now I'm out preaching the gospel all over the place. And you tell me I'm not even saved? Legalism. And see, we, we, we throw that over on, on uh, 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 ministers, but many times we do the same thing. We have a legalistic way in which we pray, a legalistic way in which we approach the Word of God, a legalistic way in which you say, well, I'm here at every service. It may be legalism. I want you here at every service, but you ought, to, you ought to come because you get to, not because you have to. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And there should be a liberty where nothing in the kingdom of God is a have to. Everything is a get to. Glory to God, I get to go to heaven. Thank God I get to come to church. Thank God when they pass the offering bucket, I get to give in the offering. Hallelujah, I thank God I get to worship God. I get to praise God. I get to magnify God. I've got a liberty in the Spirit. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost and where the love of God is there is no legalism amen, amen. amen. and that's why many listen now let me help you I'll take that a step further that's why many times in your discipline you've got to be careful because there are times in which you cannot Function in your discipline the way you should. You should have a disciplined prayer life. You should have a dis dis disciplined Bible study. You should have a disciplined uh, church attendance while you come to church. But the minute that's violated, here's what the enemy will do. He will try to bring condemnation on you. And based on that condemnation, what you will do is break your own laws. And then you'll throw out your entire system. I remember Lee and I, we traveled one time. Lord, we were so wore out from traveling. We traveled 36 hours. We went from Houston Intercontinental to Kansas City, Kansas City to L.A., L.A. to Honolulu, Honolulu to Manila, Manila to Hong Kong. Then they checked us in this hotel room that it wasn't even big as a 8 by 8 maybe, 10 by 10. Real small. We barely got our bags unpacked. Lay down on the bed. Oh, my God. Lay down for about 5, 10 minutes. Knock at the door. Time to go to the service. 36 hours, no prayer, no study of the Word, no meditation on the Word of God. They take me to a service, all these beautiful Chinese people. I get up and teach and preach the Word of God. We call for people that needed prayer for healing. They come up and lined all the way across. We went and laid hands on each. I never felt so dead. I never felt so dry. I felt no anointing. I sensed no power. I thought to myself, why am I here? Why am I even doing this? And I was basing the whole thing on my, quote, discipline, my legalism. I didn't realize the love of God was shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. Afterwards, the pastor brought me over to the back door. He said, stand here and greet the people with me. And they'd come by and they'd bow real nice and they'd raise up and then they'd say some words in Chinese and the pastor turned to me and said, when you laid hands on them, they were instantly healed. Then the next one would walk up and bow their head and bow like that and raise up and say something in Chinese and then he'd say, the next, and he'd say when you touched him, he was legally healed. Almost every person we prayed for was instantly healed. And the Lord showed me, I don't do things based on your ability to be disciplined, legalistic in what you're doing. And I've seen people do it. They just, you know, they, they, they come to God. They pray. They got their notebooks. They got their iPads. They're doing. Listen, if you came and talked to me like that, I'd look off somewhere else. <laughs> Legalism will get you into a rut. But God loves you. 
And when you pray, you ought to just open your heart up to God. Set your notepad down. Set all your stuff. And say, Lord, here I am to worship the love of God. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I know you love me. And you've taken that most powerful essence of yourself. And you've shed it abroad in my heart. I've got your most powerful asset in me. Your love is in me. Your most powerful asset's in me. Nothing, nothing, nothing can keep us from the love of God. And love never fails. And when you begin to do that, what you begin to do is you begin to walk into a liberty that you've never experienced before when it comes to serving God. You literally begin to live with Him, fellowship with Him. He comes in and makes His abode with you. That's exactly what Jesus taught. I don't have time to go there and show you that. But He comes in and begins to abide in you and with you, and you begin to function as if this person is literally there at all times, although He's only there by faith. Amen? Amen? I was listening to a guy teach this week. I thought it was pretty neat. He said he'd had a kind of an extended period of time in which he'd really been fasting and praying over some things in his ministry. And he said the Holy Ghost really impressed something on his spirit. And he said when he, when he impressed this on him, he began to realize how necessary it was to include God in everything that he did. He said, I thought, well, you know, God needs to be there in my, in my home, in my family, in my finances, my health, my ministry. He said, but there are other areas of my life that, that, you know, I just really didn't include God in. He said, but the Lord, by the Holy Ghost, said this to his spirit real strong. He says, I'm just looking for someone to pal around with. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. I'm just looking for someone to hang out and pal around with. Most people think, well, that, well, that's God. No, God loves that kind of stuff. He likes hanging out with his children. He likes hanging out with his people. He loves being with those who, he's, who, has redeemed, who have received his redemptive work. Amen? Now, real quick, we're gonna, i got a couple of minutes. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll wind this up. And get ready to come back tonight. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. Go to verse 19. Now let me, first of all, let me help you with the book of Hebrews. I don't want to get into a debate over who wrote it. I have my own opinion of that. But let me do say this. It is the book of Hebrews. So it has a Jewish bend to it. So there are some things that are addressed in the book. That if you don't understand its relevance to Jewish law or tradition, then you could really get messed up. Amen. So, verse 19, it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, I don't know what, what you think about that scripture. But to a Jewish person back in that day, in whom's only way in which there could be any approach to God at all was through a sacrifice that they would bring and give to a priest and in their proxy a priest by the blood of that animal would go into the holiest of all a nation lived like that let me try that again a nation lived like that that was their only approach to God but now oh my goodness the enormity of this scripture that we have what boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. 
you have the right to enter in, not to the holiest of holies in Solomon's temple, but to the holiest of holies in heaven itself. Well, you better be careful there. By a new and living way, which he hath constructed for us, constructed for us through the veil, which is to say his flesh. Literally means that what Christ did in his flesh is the door that causes us to be able to enter into the holiest of all. Moses would have loved to have been able to do that. David would have loved to have been able. But we can do it. And having a high priest over the house of God. Now we've got a high priest that's our elder brother. How'd you like your big brother to be the high priest? You think you could occur any favor? Well, we'll leave that at that. I mean, you know. Verse 22. Now here we go into some of the stuff you must understand according to Jewish law. Let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, that was literally the, the, the ceremonial rite in which the priests used to perform. There had to be the sprinkling of the blood and then they had to be ceremonial, ceremonially washed. If they were not, that's why they would tie a rope around their waist and have bells on the fringes of their robes. As they'd go in there ringing in bells, ringing in bells, ringing in bells. When the bells stopped ringing, we just pulled them out and they didn't wash good enough. Or the blood wasn't sprinkled well enough according to the law. Let me just say it like this. There wasn't a bit of love in it. There wasn't any mercy in it. There wasn't any grace in it. There was only law. But he says to us, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, in full assurance of having, past tense, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience or lifestyle and our bodies washed with pure water. That's the word of God. Let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love to do good works. Now there's the love factor that comes in right there. In the midst of all the revelation about our entrance in to the things of God and to the glory of God and to the blessing of God, God says, listen, the ceremonial cleansing and washing of the other covenant took place one time in heaven itself through what I have done for you in Christ Jesus. Now you have been sprinkled with my blood. You no longer have an evil lifestyle. Iniquity is gone. Righteousness has been imparted. Come boldly now to the throne of grace so that you can obtain mercy in time of need. If we only realize what that was saying. And then as you do that, provoke one another to good works through love. But now notice the next scripture. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. So this has to to be the love protocol. Y'all ready for the love protocol of the body of Christ? Ready? Ready? See you in church tonight. See, a lot of people, they don't even, we don't, we've, we've lost that mentality. 
See in church on Wednesday night. See it prayer on Saturday. See it prayer on Wednesday night. I'm provoking you to what? That is a good work. Because that only is going to enhance you. That's a, you say, well, that, that kind of, what that kind of does, that's, you know, I've got my life and I've got my time. And when I make it to church, I make it to church. You are compromising the love of God that has been shed abroad in your heart. You're not doing anything with that love. Love motivates, listen, love motivates people to be in the house of God. Love motivates people to give. Love motivates people to worship God. Love motivates people to do good works for their brothers and sisters and even for those that don't even know God. Amen. I mean, I went down this week to Rockport just to help someone had been destroyed by the storm. As far as I know, they're not even a believer. I witnessed to them. They've seen me live my life. I've known this person for 50 years. And I've helped them and blessed them. They know who I am. And I just went down there and loved on them for two days. Put my arm around them when I left. Said, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'm going to go down there and visit them again. Just loving them, just loving them, just loving them in the midst of all that destruction. Just loving them. And I love the church. You say, how, how, how do I know you love Because I do everything I can do to pray for you, to intercede, to bring in the best people we know how to bring in that can minister to you, to prepare messages that will help you, to pray to God, God, what can I feed this? What can I pour my life into this church as an act of love toward you being your pastor? Amen. Amen. Now, hold on, hold on. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some, but exhort one another, even more so, even more than, hold on, hold on, let me get it again. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, so there are some that forsake. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. But now notice verse 26. For if we sin willfully, After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking of judgment and fiery indignation which shall deliver the adversaries. Whoa! Now see, people read that and they go, Oh my God! Well, I sinned willfully. Anybody sin willfully after you've been born again? Well, the rest of you that didn't raise your hand just lied. (laughs) Oh, amen? So according to this scripture, you're done. Eat, 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 drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But now notice. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which should devour the adversaries. Now, who was he writing this to? He was writing this to the Hebrews. There is a Jewish bend to this. And there were people coming into the body of Christ. And they were sinning. But before they got saved... Year after year after year after year after year, when they would sin, they would bring a sacrifice into the temple. That sacrifice's throat would be slit and that blood would be offered on behalf of their sin. Amen? What this means to us today as believers is this. There ain't no sacrifice you can bring any longer because the last sacrifice was brought And he poured his blood on the mercy seat. 
So this is not some scripture of condemnation. This is a scripture that shows us that old covenant has been folded up and put away and you can't bring any kind of a sacrifice to a church, a synagogue, or any place else and offer it to God for sin because the sacrifice has been given but it's connected to us. It's connected to us assembling ourselves together, seeing the day approaching, and also exhorting one another to do good works and to walk in love. One of the greatest acts of love you can ever perform is to bring someone to church and see them get born again. I'm telling you, there's nothing more pleasurable than that to see somebody get saved, get filled with the Holy Ghost, to see the Spirit of God come upon their life, to see them begin to fulfill the law of God and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the plan of God and the will of God for their life. There's more satisfaction than that than anything else you can do on the earth. Amen. And I've stood and had people come in mass. I've had one meeting, I had over 400 saved. Another, several meetings, I've had anywhere from 100 to 200 saved in the meeting. That never meant anything to me. I mean, I meant something to me as far as ministry goes. But it's been those ones that's been one-on-one with my hand in their hand, looking into their eyes, saying, pray this, pray this prayer with me. And then seeing them or running into them years later and saying, oh, I've been in church. I've been serving God. I go to this church here or I go to that church here and I'm doing this for the Lord. And I'm, I'm telling you, you talk about a reward on earth. That's a reward on earth. You say, why would you do that? Because the love of God constrains, compels us to share what we have. What are you doing with love? Love is your motivation. Love is your motivation to win the loss. Love is your motivation to obey the call of God upon your life. Why do these guys, why do these guys sell everything they have and go to Africa? Go to the Philippine Islands? Live in squalor for years till finally they get a, get a breakthrough and God begins to bless them. Fight devils like you've never thought of before. Why do they do that? How can they do that? Because the love of God is greater than any other motivation or any other force on the planet. Amen? The love of God will motivate. It can be your motivation. Pastor, why do you come to church? The love of God. Why do you prepare the sermons you do? The love of God. Why do we support missions the way we do? The love of God. Why do, why do we have these meetings like Because the love of God. I'm doing everything I can do to take the love of God and to take and expose it to you so you can live in that love, abide in that love, and let that love motivate your life. There's no greater life enhancement than the love of God and its location is your heart and if you're not doing anything with it you're just like the guy with the money belt around his waist that dies of malnutrition because I'm telling you spiritual malnutrition is worse than physical malnutrition it'll only kill the body but spiritual malnutrition can kill the spirit or kill the soul so we need to make a decision in 2018. Thank God for faith. I'm going to teach you some more on faith. You're going to get what you're believing God for. Pray in faith. Intercede in faith. Act in faith. Give in faith. Worship in faith. Come to church in faith. Thank God. But it's the love of God that fuels that faith. Now let me, let me this will be my last statement. We'll, we'll go home. Some of you this year has been a great challenge for you. Some of you have had some real changes in your life. And some of those challenges and changes has included people that you've had to deal with. Some of you thought, I've been done, done wrong, or, or this has happened to me, or that's happened to me. This isn't fair. This isn't right. You're going to have to make a decision to walk in love. Because anytime a great act of faith is required, 
the forerunner of a great act of faith is a great act of love. You say, what do you mean? God will give you the opportunity to act in love, to walk in love, and to do what love says, and then it will fuel your faith. And what you need to receive from God will be so simple, so easy, so quick, that it'll it'll make your head spin. But I watch people over the years, over 34 years of ministry almost now, I've watched them struggle. They've got information, every book, Brother Hagen, Brother Copeland, you name it, finances, healing, and still struggle to receive from God. Well, it can't be a faith issue. Because my goodness, you got more information on faith than the church had for a thousand years. It can't be a faith issue. You know to believe in your heart. You know to confess with your mouth. You know to act on the Word of God. You know to rejoice. It must be a love issue. It must be that the tank is empty. That's the way I see love, as a fuel that goes into your faith. And you know, you could have the best car. You could have the, what, what would it be, a, a Mercedes or a, or, a, or a, what is it, a Bentley, a Rolls Royce, or a, you know, one of those cars that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. What's it worth with no gas in it? What's it worth with no gas in it? Say, man, I got this, I got this car, costs $150,000. Well, where have you gone in? Well, I ain't gone anywhere. Why not? I ain't got no gas. It's better to have a beat-up Volkswagen with four Maypops on it. How many know what Maypops are? That's those $10 for four tires you get down at the tire store. Maypop at any time. But it runs and it's full of gas. It'll take you where that $150,000 car can't take you because it ain't got no gas in it. Faith worketh by love. Forgive. Everybody say forgive. Forgive. That word was never designed to be easy. Let me say that again. That word was never designed to be easy. Forgive, walk in love. Now, those two together, forgiveness and walking in love does not mean, well, I forgive them. That means you let it go. You just let it go. Now, you don't have to be fooled again. You don't have to get, you know, put yourself in a position to get hurt again. But that means you're just going to let it go, and you're going to let love dominate, and you're going to make a decision. I'm going to let love have the upper hand in this. I'm going to walk in love toward these people, toward this situation, toward this circumstance, toward this individual, towards this or towards that. And I'm going to do that by walking it out by faith, the love of God in my heart. I forgive. Forgiveness is spoken. Forgiveness is acted upon. And love is spoken, and love is acted upon. And in so doing, you will fuel your faith for your dream in 2018. Amen? Amen. Lift your hands and worship God. Father, we worship you this morning. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, and more than anything, Father, more than anything, we thank you for the overwhelming love of God that you've placed upon us in an unrestricted way by sending your son Jesus the living word of God and allowing us to live in the goodness which he produces hallelujah let's just thank him for his love for a moment father we thank you for your love we receive your love this morning we thank you for it in Jesus name now every head bowed every eye closed just for a moment if you're here this morning I know it may sound redundant, 
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Jesus is, was, and forever will be the gift of God to humanity as proof of his love for us. But like any other gift, it must be received. God gives us the protocol not to be a church member, not to have some supernatural experience. Just simply believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. Salvation is not fragile. There are those here this morning, you may have been out of fellowship with the Lord. He desires for you to be in fellowship with Him. There is a relationship bond that the new birth brings that is not fragile and not easily broken. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've not been living right. I'm born again, I'm saved, but I've not been doing right. Then I'm going to include you in the group of those that need to get right with God. So anyone here today, you say, Pastor, that's me. I need to be right with God. Would you please pray for me? If you'd lift your hand, I'd like to see it right now. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? We see one hand. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord Jesus. You can put your hand down once you've raised another hand. God bless you. I see your hand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Anyone else? Real quick, as I look one more time. Anyone else? You say, well, I don't know what's, what's going on inside me right now. It may be God, the love of God. God does not condemn. God does not bring judgment. God loves you. He wants you saved. He wants you to know his love, to experience it. Anyone else? Real quick, I'm going to look one more time. Anyone else? Thank you. Everybody look this way. Now, you that raised your hands, here's what I want you to do. I want to pray for you. Not just for you, I want to pray with you. I want you to pray with me. I want you to have an assurance in your heart that you're saved, that you're born again, that Jesus is your Lord. Or if you were out of fellowship with God, I want you to know that you're back in fellowship. When you walk out this door today, you will know beyond a shadow of doubt, I'm right with God. Now, our church is trained. We don't judge. We don't condemn. We love you. We've prayed and prayed that you'd come and find Jesus and find his love today. So Island Church is going to stand and give a big hand clap right now for every one of you that raised your hand and you that raised your hand, come on right now. Come on and pray right now. Come on. Come on, buddy. Come on. Don't be afraid. Come on. Give him a big hand clap. Church, don't patty cake. Come on. Come stand right here. Come stand right here, buddy. Hallelujah. Now, first of all, let me do something real quick. Anybody else that didn't raise your hand, you need to come. Anyone? We'll wait for you. Anyone at all? Praise God. Now, here's what we're going to do. There's some things you may not realize. Someone's coming? Give them a hand clap. Come on. Come on, give them a big hand clap. Now, here's what we're going to do. Now, now, I know some of these are just getting right with God. Some of you guys are visiting. I want you to know something about what, what's valuable, what self-worth, your, 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 your assets. Now, you think about, I, I, I don't know most of you, so you think, well, I got this amount of money in the bank. I own this vehicle. I have this or that. But no matter what is valuable in your life, you think about what's valuable. I don't know. You may have a million dollars in the bank. You may have 10 million. I don't know. 
But no matter what you have that's valuable in your life, what's more valuable than that is your word. Say you did have a million dollars in the bank. Say you did have 10 million in the bank. You know what you could do with your word? You could go in there and give every bit of it away in one day. Showing that your word is stronger and carries more value than even a large amount of money. So God really doesn't want us to perform for Him. The Bible actually says not by works of righteousness or good works has He saved us, but by His mercy and the washing of the water of His Word. What He's looking for is for us to accept Christ. So many people have this idea. I'll be good, I'll be bad, I'll be good, I'll be bad, I'll be good, I'll be bad, I die. Hopefully my good is higher than my bad. God will accept me. (laughs) No. There's people that's been good all of their life, died and went straight to hell. Because it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. Remember this. We are all born into the human family. Some of you Hispanic, some of you African American, some of us Caucasian, Irish, English, you name it. We're all given that identity. But we all have one unique identity human. That's our problem. The human family is a fallen family. The human family is a sinful family. But God says, I got a new family for you. That's why Jesus said, You must be born again. So you get born out of the human family into God's family. There are two families on the earth. Thank God we get to be a part of God's family. So out loud with your words, say after me the words that I say. And after it, be assured that you're right with God. Amen. Island Church, you're going to help us? Here we go. Heavenly Father, right now, openly and publicly, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Lord. You sent your son Jesus, an act of your love. He came through a virgin, lived a sinless life, did signs, wonders, and miracles, died on the cross, rose from the dead, did it all for me. Today, I believe it. I receive it. I accept it. Areas of my life that do not please you, I ask for you to forgive me. I confess it to you, Lord, and you alone, thanking you that the blood of Jesus has already cleansed me from all sin and all unrighteousness. Therefore, I declare with my words as I stand at the altar of Island Church the last day of 2017, I am right with God. I'm in God's family. Jesus is my Lord. The Heavenly Father is my God. Heaven is my home. I will never be the same. Amen. Now turn around. Somebody going to give you a big hug. Now, hold on, hold on. Just a minute. Wave at us, Doc. They got a couple of free books and stuff they want to give you. Pray with you if you have any needs. So go real quick. It won't take but a minute, and they'll dismiss you. Amen. Give them a big hand clap. Amen. Come on. Shout to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Now let me just... Just say this. It ought to mean something to you to be in the house of the Lord the last night of the year. Every year for the past 33 years, I've been in the house of the Lord on New Year's Eve night. And I've had 33 great years. 
Lee and I together, well, I guess I missed a few with you over the years. When I was traveling, many times I would be asked to conduct a New Year's Eve. Some churches call it a watch night service. Some churches call it a New Year's Eve celebration. So when I traveled, I did a lot of those. But here at Island Church, I guess this will be our 16th, 15th or 16th. Amen. Every year we start the year that way. I've got a good word from God. I know the anointing. I sense something prophetic. The Lord may have a word for you tonight. I may have a personal word. I know there's going to be some healing and some deliverance. Then we're going to end this year and begin next year by receiving communion, which is an act of recognition of that which God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Now let me say this. I know a lot of churches, they go on till, you know, one, two in the morning. We don't do that around here. Now if the Holy Ghost starts moving, we'll stay here till the sun rises. Amen. But I like our people to be home and plenty of time to be off the streets when all the crazy people are on the streets. Amen. And maybe you may have a fellowship afterwards. You may have some people coming to your home or something you want to do like that. So we'll be, I know we start at 7, but most times our service ends around 9.30, 9.45. And so be sure and come tonight. It's a special night, a special service here at Island Church. Bring somebody with you. Invite somebody. If you know somebody that's not in church today that you're used to seeing in church, call them. Obey the scripture in Hebrews. Exhort one another in love unto good works. Tell them, hey, I didn't see you in church today. Everything okay? You know, we're having church tonight. We're having a service. Do you need a ride? You need me to come pick you? You say, you think I should really do that? No, I know you should. I know you should do that. I'm going to come ready. You come ready. And we're going to see God do something wonderful this evening. Amen. Praise God. Father, we thank you so much for today. Lord, as we dismiss, we declare your safety protection over us. Father, we declare no evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. And we rejoice, Heavenly Father, that we're protected. Whether we travel on the highways, the airways, seaways, railways, any other way of travel or transportation, we thank you. Your hand of blessing is upon us. Lord, in the righteous labor of our hands, as we handle the resource you've given us in the coming week, Thank you that we're not subject to trauma, to terror, to evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself. Thank you that we abide under the shadow of the Most High. Thank you, Father, a door of utterance we've never experienced before, we've never known before, opens for us as a church. And that we as individuals have great doors of utterance open in our neighborhood, our family, our friends, our co-workers, everywhere we go, everything we do. The love of God constrains us, compels us to share this wonderful message. Our love will be active. Our love will be moving. Lord, we love you so much because you first loved us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Father, we love one another. Thank you for Island Church. And Lord, we leave as the ambassadors of Christ. You've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word and anointed by the Holy Ghost. God bless you, and we'll see you tonight. Thank you for joining us. We trust you enjoyed the message today. For services and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.